The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. All right, we're going to have another story this morning. Um, I think most of us grew up on stories, whether it was stories of David killing Goliath with a stone and a sling or Moses parting the Red Sea or Superman lifting a train off of somebody or Wonder Woman. I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet. The important thing as we go through these stories and as we've gone through them week after week and we have a few more weeks is is to remember that as, as we talk about Esther and Mordecai today as we go through the book of Esther that this isn't like talking about Wonder Woman or Superman or Batman. These are real people who lived in history and experienced God's incredible grace and power in the midst of such a time as this. Um, my, my prayer this morning is that uh, for those of us that might be in hard situations, a, a boss that just is hard to get along with, or a school situation, a work situation among friends to where it's like it's almost hostile or unfriendly to even speak the name of Jesus. And and the world we're living in is getting that way more and more, isn't it? Um, To where you could talk about meditation, but you can't talk about prayer. Or you could talk about anything else but you can't mention the name Jesus Um, and for such a time as this how can we be individuals that have hope and that can thrive and we don't make excuses or we don't complain about the circumstances or situation we're in but we're individuals like Esther and Mordecai that thrive and have incredible hope in the midst of that situation and I guarantee you as we go through the story this morning you're going to find out that anything we're going through is nothing compared (laughs) to what they lived in so the question is how can we be individuals that make a difference or have hope or thrive in the midst of a an increasingly hostile world to the good news of Jesus And what we're going to see from Esther and Mordecai is simply this. That a people who trust God and a people who honor God will be such a people that have hope and thrive and can make a difference in the world in which we live. A people who are committed to trust God, not because of what we see, but irregardless of what we see, a people who trust God and honor God will be such a people who make a difference. So this morning, uh, I read through the 10 chapters of Esther many times, and as I thought about it, I thought about, you know, the best way for us to grasp the picture of Esther and Mordecai and what God is wanting to teach us through this book is to tell the story. So I'm going to tell the story with a few little side comments. And then we're just going to conclude in the the last few moments with the truths that I think God wants us 
to get from this book. Xerxes I, called, also called Ahasuerus, um, depending on the translation of Bible you're looking at, was also called Xerxes the Great. He was the fourth king of the Achaemenid dynasty of Persia. Like his father Darius I, he ruled over an expansive empire that stretched all the way, and it says this in, in Esther chapter 1, that stretched all the way from India in Asia through the Middle East and all the way down into Africa to Ethiopia. Uh, he was a powerful man, uh, more powerful than any ruler that rules today. I don't care whether it's the president of the United States or anybody else. This man was powerful. Um, In order to show how great he was, he put on a party for all of his nobles and officials and military leaders from all the 127 provinces for 180 days. That's a party, huh? Six months of debauchery where he just partied them to show how great he was. After those days, he also hosted then a final seven-day party for all the citizens of the capital city. So everyone within the whole capital city, thousands of people, um, a seven-day party with strict instructions that they could drink as much as they wanted. There was no limit. They could eat, drink, whatever they wanted to see how amazing this guy was. Well, at the end of the seven-day party, in his drunkenness, this is Xerxes, called for his wife Vashti, the king, to show off her beauty to the drunken revelers. Vashti seemed to be a gal with some conviction and thinking that Xerxes would respect her, refused to be put on display before a bunch of drunken, lecherous men. Well, he didn't like it. And with advice from his male chauvinistic counselors, it's my personal, that's not from Esther, um, (laughs) he dumped her so that other women wouldn't get the idea that they could also stand up for their convictions in the face of husbands acting like tyrants. That's also not in the book of Esther. The point was clear. You don't mess with Xerxes, even if you're his wife. Um, He's the man. Well, when Xerxes finally sobered up and cooled down, he started to miss his wife, the queen. And so, again, his advisors suggested that they round up all the good-looking young gals from the whole kingdom to have a shot at being queen. It was kind of like a Miss Media and Persia beauty pageant. And the winner got to be queen. Sounds great? Wasn't great. It was horrible, actually. And this is, this is what it really was. He sleeps with any and every girl that he wants with the goal in mind to pick one of these dozens, hundreds of young gals to be queen. 
in the process ruining the lives of all the rest of them who will be secluded away in a harem for the rest of their lives never to enjoy a loving relationship with another man. That's Xerxes. He was a jerk. He was a tyrant. He was a brute. He was untouchable, totally self-serving, uncaring, and despotic. He wasn't a man to show mercy. Well, at this point in our story, our two main characters, Esther and Mordecai, enter the picture. It says in Esther that there was in the capital of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He was among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. He was a captive. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. I bet you many of you didn't know that Esther's real name was Hadassah. Um, She was brought up by Mordecai because her parents, her father and mother, were killed in the captivity. Mordecai treated her like his own daughter. So I want you to get the setting here. A tyrant, king, despotic, does whatever he wants. He doesn't care about anybody else. And two captive Jews in a foreign land, cousins, the older one caring for the younger one, who is an orphan. In, in Xerxes' mind, they're nobodies. They're insignificant nobodies. But in God's incredible sovereignty, we begin to see a story unfold. The king wants a queen. So the young women were brought in to the capital of Susa. Esther was also one of the young women who was taken. She didn't volunteer. She was taken to the king's palace. She was entrusted to the guy in charge of the queen uh, contestants. That's my word. That doesn't say that in Esther. Um, She won his favor among all these gals. And he provided her with special treatment and special food and assigned her attendance and moved her to the best place in the harem. And as we go through this, I want you to be alert to, like, God might be up to something (laughs) as we work through this story. Esther had not revealed that she was a Jew because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, Mordecai walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. And when the turn came for Esther to go to the queen, she only asked what Haggai suggested, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Well, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and he put the royal crown on her head instead of Vashti. Sounds like that could be the end of the story, right? But it's really just the beginning. At this point, Mordecai is now sitting at the king's gate, and and in that time of history, that meant that probably because of Esther's putting a good word in for him, now he has become an important official in the kingdom of Xerxes, sitting at the gate. But Esther still kept her 
family background and nationality a secret as Mordecai had told her to do. It's interesting, it says in Esther that she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as queen just as she had done when he was bringing her up. Isn't that interesting? This guy thinks he's the man, (laughs) the most powerful person in the world, and his queen is taking her instructions (laughs) from her cousin Mordecai. Well, there's some intrigue that begins to happen as we see God's sovereignty at work. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Santa and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Incredible, when Mordecai found out about the plot, he told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai, it was investigated. It was found to be true, and the two officials were impaled on poles. And this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. Can, I just want you to think about Mordecai's character and his commitment to honoring what God would want him to do. I mean, here he's a captive of this king, and he saves his life. So now, enter the antagonist. Every good story has an antagonist. King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. King Xerxes raised him to the number two position in the kingdom. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid homage to Haman for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him homage. So the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to the king. They spoke to him, Mordecai, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them the reason was because he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him homage, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of only killing Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout all 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes. Haman approached Xerxes with his request, the annihilation of all the Jews. So what does King Xerxes do? He takes off his signet ring, he gives it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and tells him, do with this people as you please. I don't think any of us have it that bad, do we? The king doesn't know that his queen is a Jew. So when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, But he only went as far as the king's gate because no one grieving could go into the presence of the king because everyone was obviously happy all the time in the presence of the king. 
When Esther's attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was distressed. She sent him clothes to put on instead of sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And then Esther sent one of her attendants to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Mordecai told him everything that had happened regarding the destruction of the Jews and told him to instruct Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and to plead with him for her people. This is mercy from Xerxes. There was a problem. Esther instructed her attendant to tell Mordecai, everyone knows that anyone who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, there is only one law. They are to be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I have been called to go into the king. Not, not a really close marriage. Um, and, I'm, and there's got to be what's going through Esther's mind right now is Vashti, right? Just for being a woman of conviction and thinking that her husband would respect her, she refuses to appear before a bunch of drunken revelers and she's dumped. And now Esther, breaking a law and entering the king's presence, expects to find no mercy from Xerxes. I wonder wonder what Mordecai is thinking right now. Man, I wish I would have compromised just a little bit and bowed before Haman and pretended he was worthy of worship. God would have surely understood and we wouldn't be in this mess right now. Have any of us ever been tempted to compromise in that way, to get along or to be promoted or to avoid ridicule? Well, not Mordecai. Listen to his words. And and these are really the heart of the book of Esther. Mordecai sent back this answer to Esther. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Isn't that incredible? His confidence in God? I mean, in the face of maybe one of the worst tyrants in history, he says relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish And then this is a powerful phrase. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows if your position, the place you're employed, the the school you're at, the the neighborhood you live in, the the people that you associate, who knows that, that for such a time as this, God has put you there to represent him. I love it. Mordecai gets God. Mordecai and Esther are captives in a foreign land ruled by a tyrannical despot. They are Jews hated by Haman with no hope of deliverance. And yet he hopes in God. Isn't that beautiful? It's incredible. He hopes in God. 
not because his circumstances or his situation is hopeful, but he just hopes in God. So Esther replied to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go into the king. And I want you to get that. She'll go into the king having fasted without drink or or food for three days, kind of looking a little haggard. (laughs) I mean, which is the worst thing you want to do because you've got to be all smiles entering the king's presence. Looking a little haggard. And she says, even though it's against the law and the penalty is death, she says, if I perish, I perish. So what happens? You know, while Mordecai and Esther are fasting and they're agonizing, Haman, he's just, it's hunky-dory. He's happy. He's in good spirits because he's been invited by the king and Esther to go to a luncheon as the king holds out his golden scepter. But then he sees Mordecai again at the gate not bowing down and not paying him homage. And he goes home and he, he whines to his wife and he friends and his friends and says, you know, I, I got it made, but this guy, I hate him. And they give him great advice. They say, well, have a poll set up and go to the king in the morning just before you have lunch and have Mordecai impaled on it. Ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole and then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself and Haman he's he's delighted and he sets up the pole and so in the morning he's ready to ask King Xerxes but it just so happens that that night King Xerxes can't sleep So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It's kind of like having your your diary read to you, okay? Um, and, And of all those pages and all those years of his reign that have been recorded, it just so happens that what is read to him is that Mordecai had exposed that two of the king's officers had conspired to assassinate him. And the king reads that, or it's read to him, and he says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? And and the reply is, none. And then the king says, well, is anybody in the court? And they say, well, yeah, Haman. I mean, he's there all, all ready. And the king says, well, bring him in. And the king asks, Haman, a question, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? And Haman's sure that's him. So he says, well, bring out your best horse and one of your nobles and parade him through the capital city saying, this is the man the king wants to honor. And Xerxes says, do it for Mordecai. Haman is totally humiliated. He does what he's told to do and then he rushes home to his wife and his friends and when they hear what's happened, this is what they say to him. 
since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And while they were still talking with him, the king's attendants arrived to hurry Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet, Xerxes, Haman, and Esther Xerxes says, King, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted to you. And she simply answers, Your Majesty, if I found favor with you, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. And Xerxes asked Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who is the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther replied, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Haman was terrified before the queen and the king, and he had good reason to be, because immediately the pole that he had set up for Mordecai to be impaled on, he was impaled on. And it said the king's fury then subsided. And on that same day, Xerxes gave Esther the estate of Haman, the enemies, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king. And this is how the book of Esther ends. It says, <coughs> it's hard on your voice telling a story. Yeah. King Xerxes This is the ending of the book. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai whom the king promoted to the number two position in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Um, What Haman intended for evil, God turned for good in the deliverance of his people from their enemies. I'd encourage you to read the whole story, um, all 10 chapters. So what's the point? What's the point of the story? I believe that we live in such a time as this. We, we live in such a time as this when, where the world is nothing like the world that Mordecai and Esther lived in but it's a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to speak the name of Jesus or to boldly represent Jesus. For such a time as this, I think God is wanting us to be a people that stand up for him and, and speak for him and live for him like Esther and Mordecai in, in the midst of a tyrannical despot. The question, again, how can we thrive? How can we have hope? How can we make a difference where we live or where we work or the school we're at? How can we stand up? I'm not saying brashly or arrogantly, or, 
But how can we stand like Mordecai and Esther, humbly? (laughs) I think what we see is God is looking for a people who trusts him and honors him. And such a people will thrive and make a difference in the world. Esther and Mordecai, they trusted God. We see it. It's incredible. You know, they could have been bitter, right? They're captives. Esther had lost her parents. They could be blaming God. She's an orphan. She was forced to be in this queen beauty pageant. They could have been bitter. They could have blamed, but but they saw despite the circumstances and their situation, they saw that God was good. I mean, think of Mordecai's statement, relief and deliverance will come. They knew God was good. They knew God was great, that God had put them into this position at this time in history to be used by him for the deliverance of his people. They trusted God. It didn't mean that they understood. It didn't mean that they liked the way things were. It didn't mean that they were going through lots of pain. But they had a deep, unshakable confidence in God. Do you have that confidence in God? <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with your circumstances or your situation. They trusted God. And because they trusted God, they had this confidence in God, they lived to honor God. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's like Mordecai overheard this threat against the king, the king that he was captive to, and yet wanting to live a life that honors God, he exposed the assassination threat, saved the life of the king, and as a result, what happened? It led to the deliverance of his people. How many times do we make decisions based not on honoring God, but getting our own way or tit for tat or retaliation? But living to honor God is actually was what led to their deliverances. God led Xerxes to read that account and Mordecai being honored and leading to Haman's downfall refused to bow down before Haman, only giving homage and worship to God. And then Esther, when certainly she would face death at the hands of her husband, the king, she says, if I perish, I perish. Um, Two questions. I want us to ask ourselves, do I really trust God? Do I really trust God? Or is is our hope, is our confidence based on our circumstances and the way things are? Or do we really trust God? He's trustworthy. And am I really honoring God by my actions, my speech, and my values. Does it always mean positions of power? <laughs> no, it doesn't always mean that. I'm just a few pages from ending a book called The Heavenly Man. A um, story about Brother Yoon, uh, a believer in China and 
most of his life was spent in Chinese prisons. Not in positions of power. But for such a time as this, I mean, God used him to bring about the salvation of thousands and thousands and thousands of Chinese individuals where today there are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. Isn't that amazing? Do I really trust God? Do I believe that God is good regardless of what I am seeing or experiencing? And as a result, am I honoring God by my actions, speech, and values? Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to be a people that trust you. In Romans 8.31, you say, if you are for us, who can be against us? God, you are good. God, you are great. Help us to be a people that our confidence isn't based on our surroundings, but deeply rooted in the God that you are to us in Jesus. Amen.